0: Joy to the World Silent Night The First Noel For centuries, the hymns of Christmas have carried deep and abiding meaning into the spirit of the season. We remember that holy night in Bethlehem. The herald of the angels, the bright star, the wise men, the lowly manger, the promise of God's redemption fulfilled through the birth of His Son, our Savior and King. In this series, we will dive into the scriptural stories behind some of the most iconic Christmas hymns of today. Today, we're going to talk about a song that is near and dear to my heart. We're going to talk about Silent Night. How many love Silent Night? I love this song. And uh, if you have got a bulletin on the way in, we had invite you to open it up, take it out, and in the bulletin there is a note page. We also invite you to fill in the blanks with us. There's a pen in the seat pocket in front of you or... Behind you, make sure you get a pen. Write these things down. You're going to want to have this for later. And this is a great time to remind ourselves that this season is not about shopping. It's not about sales. It's not about rush, rush, rush to the chicken or turkey dinner on Christmas Day. It is about the birth of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so today it's time to take a time out and remember what we're here for. I want to talk to you about the silence God Gives. Romans chapter 8, if you've got a Bible and you don't have to have a Bible, the scripture will be mostly up on the screen, but I want to talk to you about the silence that God gives. We did a lot of singing tonight, um, a lot of Christmas songs have been in the air since, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, it seems like that's when this starts, and uh, read an article that uh, is actually, they found out that too much Christmas music may be hazardous to your health evidently, uh, and all the people who work in retail here will probably, you know, shout amen at this moment, but, you know, for us who shop at the stores and hear it for the two or three hours that we're in the stores and we get out, and go home and can listen to something other than Christmas music, no problem. But for the people who have been you know, at the cash register and folding the jeans up after you try them on and you throw them on the side and, and don't care anymore about them, and all the people that have helped you get the things that you needed to get for everybody that you love, they know that it is actually mental work that it takes to ignore the music because they're sick to death of it. And so I thought, like, in the spirit of that, that newfound revelation or new new, new news item, I thought that I would share with you a little bit of levity here. They just recently released the top, or sorry, this is not top, the worst Christmas songs ever released. And at the top of the list, I thought this was actually kind of interesting. I didn't even know this one. At the top of the list, written by John Denver. Please, Daddy, don't get drunk this Christmas. Uh, Second on the list, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. Come on, if that doesn't wound you as a child, I don't know what to say. Santa baby, number three, Santa baby. I always had a problem with this one because I think of all the people we should not seduce. Like Santa should be like way up there on the list. Do they know it's Christmas by, um, what was the band? Band Band-Aid, Band-Aid, way back in the 80s. Oh, the children of the 80s, you remember that one. This one was on the list. I didn't even know this one existed either. RuPaul the red-nosed drag queen. <laughs> Culturally relevant, but a crappy song. Okay. <laughs> Lastly, Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. That's your favorite? You're from West Virginia. How many know you how many know you can't sing that song without a southern accent? <laughs> grandma got ran over by a reindeer. <laughs> Well, thank Jesus that none of the good Christian Christmas songs are on that list because there's a whole lot of crummy songs out there, but these great songs that we've talked about over the course of this series have been really just reminding us that Jesus is the reason for the season, and no more is that found than in the song Silent Night. It's actually a song that was birthed out of problems, out of a tragedy. Uh, It was a little Austrian village named Obendorf, Obendorf, in the 1800s, 1818 to be exact, 199 years ago, tomorrow, Silent Night was performed for the very first time. And it was written because tragedy struck this little church in Austria in the middle of nowhere. Rats had burrowed their way into the diaphragm of the church organ and ripped it to shreds. And this was just a couple of weeks before Christmas Eve. So if you're a pastor of a little parish church in the middle of nowhere, and you've got Christmas Eve mass coming up, what are you supposed to do with the singing? Well, guess what they decided to do? They decided to write a song that wouldn't need an organ. And so out of the need of that moment, Silent Night was written down and then accompanied later on by musical instruments. But 199 years ago, to n- tomorrow night, isn't that cool? 199 years old. And every year, and you can, you can watch it online actually, there's still a little chapel in memorial to that little church in Austria, and you can log on, I think it's called steelknock.net, and you can log on and watch their annual Christmas Eve service in memory of that wonderful Christmas Eve night. Sometimes our problems are actually the means by which God brings about his best things. And so I thought about this. It is Christmas Eve Eve, and it is Christmas Eve at our campuses in Woonsocket and Milford. By the way, everybody, could you just welcome them in? They watch by video. Welcome, Woonsocket, Milford. We love you. Thank God for you. Come on back next weekend. Okay, but I thought since it was written to sing a cappella, we should do that tonight. You in with me on this? You you need to know that Josh isn't the only one who can sing around here, hallelujah. (laughs) I used to be a worship director myself, and uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to sing an a cappella, but you've been performed to all night, now it's time for you to perform to Jesus. You're going to perform, not to me, you're going to perform to Jesus. I believe you can do it. But first, I do need the note. So Josh, come on out, please. Josh. Josh Pereira, there he is. Handsome Portuguese man. The song words are going to be up on the screen at all of our campuses. And and here's what I thought we would do. This is so cool. Because it's meant to be sung without accompaniment, he's just going to give us the key. You people in the middle section are going to sing it. And you people on the sides are going to hum it. Yeah. We're going to do a whole acapella band right here, right now. Singers... Hummers, hummers. Now, if you fail to be loud enough, singers, we will give it to them. And by the way, Woonsock and Milford, you guys can do the same if you're three sections, middle sections sing, side sections hum, or if you're two sections, left sing, side sing, right side hum. Or you can just wing it, I don't care. All right. Give us a note. Side, side, side. All right, all right, all right. You guys got that? Silent night. One, two, three, four, five, six. Silent night. night. A little hum, more hum. I need more hum over here. Come on. Ooh, that's good. wish you could hear what I heard. That was awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome. Fantastic. Thank you, Josh. I want to talk to you about noise. What is your noise? It is a noisy season. It is the season of cash register register drawers and coins and cash and checks and swipe, swipe of the credit card. It is the season of noisy children crying that they can't yet open their Christmas gifts. And after they open them, crying that one of them broke. And the stores aren't open and you're crying. This is the season in which we get around the Christmas table to argue about politics. It is the season of noise. What is Your noise, because I know you got one. I got them too. And every once in a while, we need a break from the noise. Silence is golden. Silence is a funny thing because we want it. But once we got it, it's like we got to get rid of it. You know how silence can be good, but after a while, silence can be a little bit disconcerting. (laughs) You see what I mean? And so because silence is so disconcerting, we want to fill our lives with more noise. So what do you do when it gets so noisy and you don't know what to do anymore with all the noise? Silence can be golden. I wonder who here today has got noises not out here, but in here. What's the noise up in here? The noise of insecurity. I don't think I'm all that. They've got it so much better than me. Why does God treat me like so much less than everybody else? Or the the noise of worry. Oh, man, I don't know if I spent enough on my kids this year. (laughs) I don't know if I spent enough on my family. Oh, my gosh, I spent way too much on my kids this year. What is your noise? How about the noise of guilt? Oh, that's a big one. You feel so bad about yourself. You can't get over your past. You think about how many ways you failed God in 2017, and you're pretty sure he's fed up with you for 2018 already. I got that noise. I'm half Italian. I know the noise of guilt. There's four levels of guilt, by the way. I know this. I've studied it. It's all up in my head. I haven't studied books. It's all up in here. There's the guilt of doing things you shouldn't have done, level one. But then there's another level called level two. It's called the guilt of not doing the things that you should do. Like, most of you, that's where you'll be next weekend when you're not here. Hallelujah. <laughs> See, guilty people have to pass it on. That's why we do it. That's why we're, we just put it on other people. That's level two. Then there's the guilt of doing what you should have done, but you didn't do it to the best of your ability. Anybody here with me on this? Like, like, I go to the gym. I work out. I know you can tell. I work out. <laughs> and... Uh, I'll go, but, you know, sometimes I go and I cheese out. I don't go all the way. Like, I know you guys probably can't resonate with this. doesn't look like many of you work out, but you know you got to be there. with You see, I feel guilty for saying that right there. I feel guilty for saying that. See? And then there's level four guilt, which is you do what you should have done. You do it with the best of your ability, but you didn't do it with the right attitude or with the right motives. Oh, man. Pastor, you are depressing me Christmas Eve. (laughs) There's noises, man. There's noises up here. You need to come to a place where you can find the silence that God gives. Because there is one. It's it's not literally something that God is going to just basically make all the things about your life just kind of shush. No, that's not it. Because if you got the silence of God, you can be surrounded by noise and be at peace inside of you if you got the silence of God you can get yourself to church with a smile on your face because you know that your life is not the sum total of your wrong actions anymore but that Jesus Christ loves you enough to lay down his life for you at that cross 2,000 years ago and he was born as a baby but he's coming back as a savior who loves you and has a plan and a purpose for you if you got the silence of God, you don't care what other people think about you because you know what God says about you. And what he says is far more important than what anybody else says. The silence that God gives. I can't give it to you. He's got to give it to you. But we got to know where to go. And I found the recipe, and it's in Romans chapter 8. It's in Romans chapter 8. We're sitting there the whole time. And I didn't ever see this, but this is the silence that God gives. Would you do this with me? Everybody at all over campus, stand with me. And I'm going to read you the recipe for the silence that God gives. Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you will teach us about the silence only you can give. For every person here, or watching by video, I pray we will see Jesus and Him only. In His mighty name, we pray. And everybody say it. Yeah. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Romans eight thirty one. Man, I'll tell you something. If you can read Romans eight and still be depressed, you got serious problems. It is the greatest chapter in the Bible. I kid you not. It is the greatest chapter in the Bible. Whenever you are feeling terrible and you don't feel like going on and you're a Christian, please, 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 please turn to Romans chapter 8 and just read the whole thing through. Paul is summing up an argument here. We picked him up at the last part of the argument because he asks a question. It's a penetrating question. It's a question we need to answer What shall we then say to these things? What shall we say, he says, to these things? In other words, there's really nothing we can say in light of all that God has done for us in Christ. I mean, he came as a baby. He had to run for his life with his mother and father very, very young because they wanted to kill him. He had to be a refugee for two years, an illegal alien, if you will came back home, stood up to read and preach one day in his home church, and by the end of the time he was done preaching, they took him to the cliff of the city, and they wanted to kill him. How many know your preaching's really effective when people want to kill you after you're done? <laughs> people despised him, people criticized him, they tried to trap him. Every step of the way, he was totally in control. And when the time had fully come he chose willingly to lay down his life and bear our sins on the cross. But friends, listen to me very carefully. Jesus did not just die for your sins. He died to bring you back to God. He died to give you access to the throne of grace before a loving heavenly father who was willing to give up his son to have you home with him. And then, when Jesus ascended to the Father, after he rose again, he sent the Holy Spirit down to earth. And it is the Holy Spirit that empowers the Christian life, it is not doctrine. It is not church attendance. It is not trying to be a good person. It is not what other people think of you or don't think of you. It is, not, it is not wishful thinking. It is not the Jedi force that we saw so terribly portrayed in the last episode of the Star Wars franchise. I'm sorry to say. It is the third person of the Trinity, God himself, who indwells your body and lifts you up and empowers you to do what God wants you to do. And Paul has just got done unpacking for the Roman readers and you and I all these things that are ours in Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, what shall we say to them? Well, what are those things? Let me tell you a couple of them. Backing up the truck in Romans 8, verse 15. If you got notes, write these things down. We are adopted into the family of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our Spirit that we are the children of God by which we cry out to him, Abba Father, the Aramaic Abba word means daddy. We can come close to God through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Number two, we are children of God. Romans 8:16. There's that great picture immortalized on the front of Life Magazine of John F. Kennedy Jr. playing underneath the resolute desk in the Oval Office. Peering his head out of the back door, and on the desk, behind the desk, doing serious business for the country and the world, his presidential father, John F. Kennedy. And the picture was immortalized because, in the midst of all those powerful forces, was a little child who knew who his dad was. Friends, if you're in Christ, do you understand? That picture is the picture you have every time you bow the knee before your father in prayer. You can come into the halls of power with boldness and confidence, knowing that he loves you and he welcomes you in as a son. Number three, the glory that God gives us will far outweigh the troubles of today. Oh, that's good news for some people in this house. Because you just don't want Christmas to be here at all. Somebody dragged you here. Or you're just done with the whole thing. Or maybe it's the first Christmas without somebody in your life. Without mom, dad, child, brother, nephew, grandmother. I don't know. But you're feeling it right now. And even my mentioning of it brings up the wounds. You thought you'd forget about it by coming. And I did that. I brought it up. I'm sorry. But I want to tell you, if you're in Christ, I want to tell you, if you're in Christ, however strong the pain is today, The glory will be far stronger in the day to come when Jesus returns. I'm telling you, that's the witness of the Holy Spirit. Number four, the Holy Spirit prays for us in our weaknesses. When I read that passage this weekend, I said, I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit doesn't laugh at us in our weaknesses. He prays. Ah. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is in me, praying for me. All my guilt, he's the one praying over it. All my issues, he's the one saying, Father, I believe. You can change him. And you're not done with him. And the best days are yet to come for him. The Holy Spirit. And fifthly, most famously... In all these things, God is working for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Oh. does it get any better than that? <laughs> to know that, yeah, you might have to go through some serious stuff this year. But God's going to work it out. You know, you know what my grandma used to do with the, with the leftovers from, from Christmas dinner? She used to do this every year. <clears throat> she would take all the leftovers, the chicken, the broccoli, the stuffing, the mashed potatoes, the turkey, whatever it was, and she'd get herself a big old pan. And she'd put all the chicken in there and the broccoli and the peas and the corn and the carrots and she'd just shake it up. And then she would put breadcrumbs on top. How many know bread is from heaven? <laughs> and then she'd put some Parmesan cheese on there, stick it in the oven, and about an hour later, it'd come out chicken or turkey, Christmas leftover casserole. I'm in heaven. Why don't we just have this for the meal in the first place? It's glorious. Let me tell you something though. This is what God does with your life. He takes the problems. He takes the pains. He takes the good. He takes the bad. He takes the leftovers. He takes what people have done to you and what people haven't done for you. And He puts them in a pan and He heats them up with the power of the Holy Spirit. And He brings it out and He says, I put it all together and I wrapped it up tight for you to have a good life. So, Paul says, in light of all that, Of these things? Answer is nothing. Because <laughs> God has silenced every fear and doubt and anxiety. Now, I don't want you to leave here misinformed. Please don't take me to believe that everybody in here is already in the family of God and this applies to everybody. No. This applies to those who are in Christ. In Christ. See, Paul opens up Romans chapter 8, verse 1, by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for those particular group of people who are in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Well, it doesn't mean that you go to church. You could be a person that goes to church who is in Christ Jesus, but going to church doesn't put you in Christ Jesus. And it's not necessary that people have been confirmed, because a lot of people get confirmed and they never come back. And they never look up again. And it doesn't even mean that you've been baptized at Waters Church. And it doesn't mean that you're a good person. It means that you know. You know you were not good enough. No matter how good you were. And if you were really, 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 really bad, you know God's better than your badness. And you have resolved to stop being religious and believe that Jesus did what what you couldn't do. He lived the life you couldn't lead. He obeyed God the Father in ways you could not obey. And then he died. And when he was on the cross, he bore your sin and my sin. And if we believe that, we are brought into Christ, spiritual union with Christ, covered by the blood of Jesus, Our sins washed away forever. And the Father looks on us and says, this is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. I didn't earn it. I didn't get it. I didn't climb the mountain. Jesus came down to my level and did it for me. And if I believe that, I got a lot of things going for me, (laughs) and God brings silence to the voices in my head. Three areas where God brings silence and then we're done. Number one, in Christ, God silences the voice of accusation. All the guilty people are with me on this, there's the voice of accusation, you didn't do it right, you didn't do what you should have, you should have done more. You didn't do it with the right attitude. Shame on you. If we could break open your brain and look at the thoughts. A little cloud bubble, little Peanuts cartoon cloud bubble up here. How many of you, that would scare the living heck out of you? Amen. You'd be like, I don't want anybody to see what's up there because I'm thinking some seriously bad stuff. Accusation. Paul says... What shall we say to these things? If God is forced, who can be against us? And they said, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? You ever feel like you've been charged with a crime? That's the word here, the word is, is legalese for being, for being put on trial for all the things you did wrong. And I, there's this in, inward part of us that that's how it is. This is why some of you avoid church like the plague. Or why you're angry with your Christian brother or your or your morally self-righteous sister? Because they don't know where you've been, and you don't know what you've got gone through. And, and they don't, they don't, they can look like they had their act together, but you might know the truth. And so you still, though, you feel condemned and charged with a crime. And he says, Who shall who shall condemn? Who's to condemn us? That means to actually put away in prison? Administer the sentence? Some of you feel that? The, the feeling of Hopelessness that you can't be good enough. You can't be the right mother. You need to be the right father. You need to be the right son. Condemn- condemnation, accusation. Who's again? You got to realize this. You've got a spiritual enemy. The Bible makes no bones about it. There's an accuser. His name is Satan. Romans, uh, Revelation twelve ten says the salvation and power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who what? Accuses them day and night before God. A heavenly throne room where Satan is up there. Throwing your sins in the face of the Father. Throwing your sins in the face of the Father. Every single time you wake up. When you're going to bed at night, you can't sleep. Wake up in the middle of the night, you can't go back to sleep. I feel like I feel like a failure. I feel like I'm terrible. I feel like nobody wants to see me. And, and the voice of accusation, loud and persistent, First Peter chapter five verse eight says this: that he is a roaring lion, seeking to divide. He roars. How? What are we supposed to do? Resist him in your faith? What faith? The faith that there is a judge in heaven named God the Father. And there is an accusation, ac- accuser, a prosecuting attorney named Satan, and he's standing there, and he's got a whiny, pitchy voice, and he's just leveling you, leveling charge against you, after charge against you, after charge against you, and God is hearing you, and God is hearing you. But you have to understand that you have an advocate on the defense side of the courtroom whose name is Jesus. Jesus who says, I know what they did, Father, but remember what your word says and remember the covenant we made together that I would lay down my life and my blood would cover and wash away every guilty stain from their conscience. And the Father says, case closed. The accused may leave the building. Who can condemn? Who can accuse? Silence the voice of the accuser jesus christ died and was raised and is at the right hand of god pleading his perfect case silence is golden number two in christ god silences the voice of anxiety because this is kind of the center section The center verse of the section here at the last part of Romans chapter 8, where he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us? Say the last two words, everybody. All All things. You see the argument from greater to lesser that Paul is making? Hey, hey, don't you realize that Jesus was given for you and he was the best thing that God could give you? And and if God was willing to give you the best thing he had to offer you, like that's, it starts there. It starts there. He starts with the best. He says, I want to show you how good I am. I'm going to give you my son as proof positive that if he wasn't going to withhold his son, he will never withhold anything else that's good for you. So what are you worried about? What are you scared of? Why are you letting letting all the what ifs and what could be and what might happen in your life run the day inside your brain? You come to church to remember God started with the best he had to offer. Everything from here on out is secondary and a given. Silence is golden. Uh, I like how the, a lawyer from Pennsylvania named Jeff Lewenthal said it. I, I really like this testimony. He's a Jew and a lawyer. Sometimes those two are the same thing. He said, for years I attended Hebrew school with my friends three times a week to prepare for my bar mitzvah. But it was in my second year that we discussed the one issue that piqued my interest. Jesus was a good man, the rabbi said. He was a rabbi, but he was not the Messiah. Though I said nothing at the time, I was disappointed because I had come to like Jesus from the movies I had seen around Christmas and Easter. I liked his gentle nature and powerful words. In my third year... A new teacher said the same thing. I raised my hand and I asked, could we just talk about this because I'd like to know how or when we made the decision that Jesus is not the Messiah. No, the teacher replied. We don't have time to talk about it. That seemed unusual to me because our teachers genuinely liked when students had questions, but the subject was dropped. As a child, I once came to my parents in fear when I learned that people died. That fear undoubtedly spurred my interest in finding God. At college in the 1960s, I examined many religions, still seeking to answer to my fear of dying. I tried to follow various claims of peace from Eastern religions, meditations, prophets, and gurus. My only test was whether they could silence that sense of fear, but none of them could. While I was in law school, I remembered that I had liked Jesus when I was a boy and decided to read his words for myself in the New Testament. I was amazed by his teaching and I was floored when I began to realize that this Jesus was in fact the Messiah of Israel. When I invited Jesus into my heart, I felt the weight of the world come off me. And a strong sense of peace enveloped me. That sense of fear was finally silenced. And I am happy to report that it has not returned for 35 years. And it never will. God silences in Christ the voice of your anxiety. And thirdly and finally, in Christ, God silences the voice of abandonment. Is there anything worse than being alone or feeling alone? Because if you don't feel anxious and if you don't feel accused, Satan saves his best attack to try to convince you nobody cares you're on your own you're all alone think about the fact that we put prisoners when we want to escalate their punishment where do we put them solitary confine like that's the worst we can do and Satan is the cosmic prison warden trying desperately to get you to think you are the only one no one really likes you or loves you and you have gone way too far for God to forgive you to this Paul says who shall separate us From the love of Christ. If God gave his son. If God sent Jesus to earth. It was a resolute statement. That he wants to come and be with you. What does the angel say? You shall call his name. Emmanuel. God with us that if you're in Christ, you're never alone. If you're in Christ, you're never alone. If you're in Christ, you're not alone because famine and tribulation and distress and persecution and nakedness and danger and sword cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can take you away from Him. Now, just because that's a reality, I mean, sometimes it's going to feel a little bit like that, because he says in the next verse, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are like sheep counted to be slaughtered, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, some people are going to look at us and think, what are you getting out of following Jesus? Your life doesn't look any better than mine. What's going on? God seems to have abandoned you. And on the outside, it might look like that, because Christians can go through cancer, and Christians can go through heartbreak, and Christians can go through death, and the valley of the shadow of death, but we also know that though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. And I know I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so he concludes with this rounding statement of fact, no. Silence. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Silence is golden.